Hello, everybody. I was having a private conversation with one of our members here, and I was saying, I'm going to wait until the middle of the bump video so I'm not standing up here awkwardly, resisting the temptation to dance and break, break out and dance while the bump video is going. I feel like that would be uh, very wise for me to do. Um, there's a little feedback. Oh, you're welcome, Alan. I'm always looking out for you, fam. Always you. You're my guy. All right, great. Feedback. All right, great. We are still, actually, we're coming actually to the end of our, of our series in Philippians. And this has been a wonderful series, right? We're in chapter four, and we're landing the plane. We, we see the, we see, what do they call, what, what do you land the plane on? I was about to say driveway. It's not called the driveway. The runway, the runway, that's what it's called. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the driveway, because you're, drive, you're not driving a plane. We see the runway, and we're about to land. And in this particular, at the beginning of this particular chapter, Paul is teaching on what it means for us to live into the peace of God. Last week, Pastor Rich introduced us to this notion that the peace of God can guard our hearts and our minds. And this week, Paul is now going to teach us what are the practical implications of what it means to have the peace of God guard our hearts and our minds. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into our text this morning. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for this morning, for this wonderful morning where we've seen our children, our kids, continue to grow up, continue to grow into the people that you've called them to be. We thank you, God, for the kids that you have blessed this church with, for the parents you've blessed this church with, God. I pray that you continue to keep blessed and watch over them. And God, this morning, as we, as we dive into our text, I pray that you can inspire us, convict us, and encourage us where we need to be, where, where we need to be Lord. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning, for a few minutes of your time, I want to tag this text, the power of our thoughts. The power of our thoughts. This morning in our text, Paul introduces us to a list of six praiseworthy qualities, morals, and traits. And what's fascinating about this list, actually, is that these qualities were actually the common stock of moral teaching of the pagan culture of the time. So in essence, when people of that time, they would look at this list, they would look at these values, and it would be very familiar to that culture. To that, to, to, to that context. So these things are not uniquely Christian, right? However, Paul is going to say, as we continue to work through this text this morning, even though the, this language is borrowed from the pagan culture, you are still called to embody it. You're still called to practice it in a specific Jesus way, in a specific Christian way. It's also fascinating because Paul is in some ways saying that the culture and the context is capable of having language, of having values, that is of good moral distinction. Paul's not going to say that, 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 that the society is the source of morality, is a source of ethical norms, but they can have these patterns of behavior and habits that is of good moral distinction. However, as Christians, Paul is going to say, I'm going to put these words, I'm going to put this list 
under a new paradigm and under a new reality. I'm going to give it a heavenly framework. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you that we are called to embody the language and words of a culture through a specific Christian lens. And Paul understood that the Philippian Christians were a minority in that context. Right. So you understood that they would engage with this language if, when they were talking to their friends or their neighbors. So Paul wants to say that even though you're going to engage with this language, even though you're going to be talking in this kind of language. You still have to be a citizen of heaven. You still have to view it through a heavenly framework. Now, I think this brings up an interesting question, because throughout the book of Philippians, Paul has been saying that we're supposed to be different, that we're supposed to operate under a different paradigm than the world. So the question becomes, why is he all of a sudden engaging with words, language, and cultural values and norms of this particular society? It's a fascinating question. I'm so happy you asked it. That's a great question. I think it's worth engaging. I think it's worth engaging with. I think there are three things to consider here. Number one, first of all, these terms, these values are not exclusive property of pagan culture, right? In fact, Paul and his Jewish heritage is familiar with five of these, uh, five of these terms. The only term that really, isn't, that, that really isn't a part of that Jewish heritage is admirable, right? Admirable, you're not going to really find in the, Greek, in the Greek Bible. So these things aren't exclusive property of the pagan culture. Number two, Paul does not embrace all of the moral values of the Greco-Roman culture, he only embraces what he views to be the highest values, right? He takes the best of that culture and says, you know, these, these things are worth engaging with through a Christian lens. And finally, Paul also wants to say that as Christians, we are allowed to engage the world. We are allowed, as, our core, as one of our core identities say, to thoughtfully engage with the world, right? Because as we are engaging with the world and their language and their values, and we're doing it in a Christian way, people are going to notice how we're behaving, how we're operating under, cultural, under certain cultural values, uncertain cultural, cultural, cultural norms. And through them seeing us operate differently, it's going gonna, it's gonna to broaden our witness. It's going to broaden the ways in which God is going to speak and work in us to show the world how to actually act, embody, and behave, and live as a true human being and child of Christ, thoughtfully engaging. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was trying to think about some current cultural vernacular or slang or terminology that I can give an example of. And it's really hard because in our culture, you know, language evolves so ever. It's like, it's like some, some, one day something's in, one day something's out. I remember I was talking to my sister one time. I was texting some Princeton students one time about something. And they were texting me in words and things that I just was like, I, I, I. so I was texting, I said, Janelle, I'm going to, I'm copying and pasting of, like, literally a message that someone sent me. Can you tell me what this means? Because I don't understand what's going on. And she deciphered it for me. And obviously, she took the opportunity to be like, dang, bro, you really old. <laughs> like, dang. And I'm like, okay, I want you to remember this moment. I'm coming for you in the future. Because this is not 
funny, but it was quite embarrassing. So as I was thinking about this, I said, like, so what's a phrase that we use in our culture that defines our culture now and that might still be in? So the phrase that I came up with is, I'm living my best life. I'm looking at the young people. <laughs> Molly Landy, do, do you and your peers still say I'm living my best life? Molly is shaking her head no. <laughs> shaking her head no. I appreciate the smile on your face as you're, as you're, as you're shaking your head no though. Thank, thank you so much. I was gonna ask the Palmers, but the Palmers lived to embarrass me, so I, can, I couldn't ask them. <laughs> can I ask the Palmers? This is the inner dynamic of well teens right now. You, you're, just, you're literally saying it. I'm living my best life, right? So the, young peop, so the younger people don't say that, but I think that this is a phrase that's been said, that's been, that has been said in the last five to 10 years. So when we think about this phrase, right? I'm living my best life, right? This is, a, this, 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 is, this is a cultural slang and vernacular that defines the ways in which this culture believes people should abide, right? I'm living my best life, which, which wants to say that according to my desires, according to my pleasure, I'm going to live in a way that is pleasing to me, that's going to make me happy, and it's going to allow me to really, really live in a way that makes me the happiest that I can be, in the most pleasurable way, right? And even though Molly says that, that people don't say this anymore, I think that it's still said sometimes, right? I, I, I genuinely believe that. When we're engaging with this kind of language, I think Paul is teaching us that it's okay to engage with this language and think like a Christian. So for example, as a Christian, I'm looking at this thing saying, I want to live my best life. I think it is true that God wants all of us to live our best life, right? But in what way? For us as Christians to live our best life means to love our neighbor. It means to love our family and friends. It means to serve others well. Fundamentally, living our best life means living according to the rules live according to the purposes and destiny of God's will and not according to the will of ourselves and not according to the will of this world. Living our best life fundamentally involves us following and obeying God and his plan for our lives and not our plan or the world's plan for our lives, right? That's what it means to live our best life. And I think this is important because if we're going to engage with culture, if we're going to use cultural language, when we are Christians about it, when, we, when, when, we, when we're looking at things through this Christian lens, it allows people to look at us. It allows people to, in some ways, study us and say, wow, that's fascinating. That's really interesting. It's interesting the way you have applied that to your life because it's radically different than how I would apply it to my life, right? And that can welcome hostility at times, right? People could judge you, it could ridicule you, but it also, I genuinely believe it will pique someone's curiosity. It will pique someone, it was like, wow, that's fascinating. Right? Like that's really interesting how you've done this and how you've applied something that I hear all the time in my everyday life, but you view it so differently. Tell me a little bit more about that. Can you share more? Right? So God, God calls us to engage with culture, but the way we interact with culture has to be met with the gospel. It has to be met with 
Jesus and the Spirit is going to work in us and the Spirit is going to reveal to us how we are called to embody, to, 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 to truly embody the values and ethics and morals of the gospel. That's what happens, right? And that's what Paul is doing here. As Paul is introducing these terms, he knows that the pagan culture will know these terms, will know these values, but, but, but he's saying to, those, to, to these Philippian Christians, you're called to understand these terms radically different than your neighbor. You're called to embody these values, embody these norms radically different than how your pagan neighbors will embody them. And through embodying them through the gospel, that will allow you to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. That will allow you to live in a manner that, that, that will embody the life of Jesus rather than the life of the culture. Right? So I think it's very, very fascinating what Paul is doing here. And with that, let's actually dive into these terms. Let's dive into these values. There's six of them. Let's see what we got here. Mike, you will pull a slide up. There we go. Philippian morals and values. So the first one, this might be my favorite one actually. True. Whatever is true, Paul says. This is the first thing he says. Now what is true? This value brings into focus what is authentic, reliable, and real. For Paul, truth is always rooted in God and revealed in the gospel. God's truth also involves us willing ourselves to see beyond the moment to the eternal truth of the resurrection, which is truer than our present circumstances. That's what's true. Now, here's, here's what Priscilla Schreier, a preacher out of Dallas, Texas, defines faith in this way. She says that faith is when we act like or trust that God is telling the truth. Faith is when we act like or trust that God is telling the truth. So when we're living in our lives, right, things are going on, things are happening, right, things are coming at us in a very fast, in a very, at a very fast pace. There are times in our lives when we have to settle down a little bit and say, and ask ourselves, so what is true? What, 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 what am I living, how am I living my life right now? Am I living it according to uh, my fear? Am I living it, living it according to other people's expectation of me? Or am I living it according to what God says is true? Right? And I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But I think sometimes when sometimes we get so caught up in life that we forget that what we stand on as Christians is the truth of God. And what Paul gets at here is that the truth of God is revealed in the word of God in the gospel and life and teachings of Jesus. And as we become more familiar with these teachings, as we become more familiar with the things that God says in his word, fundamentally, we will know the truth. And once we know the truth, the truth, as Jesus says, will set us free. And we are free to live into the fullness of God's word for our lives, how God speaks into our lives, and not what others say about us or what we think about us according to what the world says, how we should think about ourselves. So what is truth? Are we living on truth? Number two, honorable. Whatever is true and whatever is honorable. 
This value signifies a moral quality of that which is worthy of respect and honor in contrast to the crude and sleazy. I think this brings into focus what Paul said earlier in the book when he says you have to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. When you live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, the spirit is so alive in you, right, that it is going to manifest itself in very specific ways that is going to garner respect, right? You're going to love. You're going to be kind. You're going to be compassionate, right? You're going to really have these values, really, you're going to be embodying gospel-oriented values in such a way to where people are going to look at you and they're going to respect how you carry yourself. They're going to respect how you live your life because you're living in such a way that is objectively spiritual, holy, and completely set apart that folks are, that it's going to catch people's attention. Right. And oh, that we be a people that we that where we are known for respect and honor and not known for the for being crude and sleazy. Right. That's the contrast. Right. Because this world, it, 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 it abides by different rules and by different guidelines. Right. It abides by, you know, turning your back on people. It, it abides by in, in, in some ways, like betraying some of your values just to get ahead, which is not respectful. Right. Which is not integral. But when you live in a manner worthy of the gospel, it's going to garner respect from the culture, from the community, from the society. And it is not going to make people look at you in any kind of way because the spirit is so manifesting in your life. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable. Go to the next slide, uh, Mike, please. Thank you, sir. The next one, whatever is right. Now, this value is rooted in God's character and God's salvation plan in Christ, which shapes a believer's reality and their actions. Now, this again dives into, as believers, as Christians, our moral standards, our ethical values are not from this world. They are godly and they are heavenly in perspective and tone, right? When we think about what is right, it is governed completely by how God defines what's right, by how God defines what's moral, by how God defines what's ethical. I remember in, uh, Jesus says that in this world, it's common to love those who like you, but I want you to love your enemy. Pray for those who mistreat you, right? Love those who, 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 who persecute you, who hate you different ethical system, different moral value system, right? What is right is determined by God and not of this world. And as we dig deep into the word of God, as we dig deep into the teachings of Jesus, we will find that it is of a totally different character, tone, and tenor than what this world says, right? And that's how we must abide ourselves. That's, how, that's, that's what we must live into. Radically different than how the culture at the time would define what's right. And then he says, whatever is pure. This value speaks of uprightness and integrity in our motives, actions, and all of life. I like this one because I think, especially today, we live in a very quid pro quo kind of, kind of culture, right? I do for you, you do for me, right? And that's just not the Jesus way. 
right? We don't go into doing things for people with an expectation that they will return the favor, right? With the expectation that they will do for me or do for my family or whatever it might be in the future, right? We go into it saying, how is God calling me to love my neighbor in this moment? How is God calling me to show kindness, show love, show compassion, show charity to this person? And I'm going to do this because God is calling me to do it, not because I expect something in return. Right. That's what it means to have pure intentions. Doing this because God has called me as a Christian to love my neighbor as myself. And I will not expect them to return the favor. I would not expect them to do something for me in the future because I am totally and wholly dependent on God for that. God will provide for me. God will take care of me. And because God has loved me so much, I want to now love other people. I want, to now, I want to purely embody the love that God has shown me and give it to somebody else. Right. That's what it means to have pure intentions. Loving someone even when you even even when they don't uh, return it, even w- without expecting something in return. And lastly, these last two are interesting to me, lovely and admirable, whatever is lovely and admirable. Now, it's interesting because especially that word admirable, this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used. Right. So this so this this term would be the most unfamiliar to Paul. This term, he really does borrow from the culture. And lovely, we, we, see, we, see, we see that throughout the, uh, throughout the New Testament, especially in the pastoral letters. But what, what does he mean by this? So both of these terms imply that believers should concentrate on speaking and living in ways that are winsome and endearing to others in the wider community. I like this. So Paul is saying that as a Christian, as someone who has a spirit, People should like you. You should be a likable person, right? People should see you and say, you know, I really like being around that person. I really enjoy their company, right? And it's not like, it's, it's, it's nothing that is specific to like, you know, what we deem as likable in our culture. It really is simply specific to the spirit, right? If we have the Holy Spirit in us, it is going to invite people into our presence, right? We're going to be kind to them. We're going to be loving to them. We're going to be compassionate to them. And because we're embodying the spirit, we're going to be likable people, right? People are going to find us lovely and admirable because the spirit is manifesting itself in such a way where people are drawn to us, right? And what they're really drawn to is the life of Jesus. They're drawn to the love of Jesus, right? And you ought to embody these values. You ought to embody each of these things in order to truly demonstrate yourself as a citizen of heaven. Yes, these values can be found in the culture. Yes, these values are familiar to everyone in that context, in that society. But as for you, child of God, Paul says, you are to embody these values in a Jesus way, in a Christian way. 
right? So it's not, it's, it's, it's not about saying to the culture, we're going to reject everything. We're going, we're, going, we're going to just try to just be in our silo Christian sort of spaces. No, Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't suggest that. Paul says, no, you will engage with the culture. You will engage with people. But as you engage with people, as you engage with culture, I want you to always have your Christianity in mind. I want you to always, I want you to always be thinking about how am I called to think about this language, this concept, this, this particular value as a Christian? Because when I think as a Christian, I'm going to actually be fulfilled. I'm going to actually be carrying myself in a way that is honorable and respectful. And you know what, you know what else I think is, is really key here? I'm going to have respect for my own self, right? Because I'm not a sellout. I'm not selling out to the world just to be liked. Because I'm so secure in the love that God has for me that I want to be unapologetically Christian in every way so that I can be about my father's business. Be just like Jesus. And it won't be as lonely as you might think. You know why? Because we have each other in the body of Christ. The church will be the church, right? When you are ridiculed or when you, when, 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 when you are persecuted because of your Christianity, that's why you come here. That's why you come here and you're encouraged. You, you, you're, you're sold into, you're poured into by brothers and sisters in Christ to say you're about your father's business. And it may be hard right now, but keep going. Keep going. I will be right here with you. If you need me, call me. Let's pray together. Let's, 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 let's do life together so that you are constantly encouraged, so that you constantly know that you're doing the work of Jesus, right? And you're being unapologetic about it, thoughtfully engaged. I want to turn to the latter part of verse 8. I want to turn to the latter part of verse 8. Can we go to that mic real quick? Thank you so much. So after Paul lists out these values, he then says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Mm. When I read this this week, church, it stopped me in my tracks. Think about such things. You know, when we branch that word out, think, in the Greek, and we expand it, what that really means is fill your mind with such things. Concentrate, focus on such things to where that is the, that is the center of your attention. When we're living in our lives, I think sometimes when we're going through things, just going through the day-to-day -day and going things in our day-to-day -day lives. Or when things are just hard, they cause anxiety, they cause stress, we feel overwhelmed, right? And we have these racing thoughts because we're obsessed with the problems and circumstances in our lives. And our minds are just racing, trying to figure out a solution, trying to figure out how to get out of it. And this week, as I was thinking about this, I felt God say to me, Taylor, what if in those moments you stop, you pause, and God says, I'm going to ask you this question. Hey, son, daughter, what are you thinking about? And we just list off this laundry list of things we're thinking about. Family, 
friends, marriage, work, school, so many things. It says, what if you thought about something else? What if you set your mind on these things? What if you shifted your thoughts, shifted your perspective, stopped thinking about all the things that are stressing you out, and you thought about these such things? What do you mean, Lord? Okay, think about the first thing. What is true? What if instead of thinking about what's happening in your life, what have you thought about what is true? What is true? It is true that I will never leave you nor forsake you. It is true that I will give you wisdom and discernment to help you navigate your life every single day. It is true that I can give you access to a joy that does not stem from things happening in your life, but it stems from my strength and my power. It is absolutely true that I can give you access to a peace that surpasses all understanding. That even in the midst of, you can be poised, you can, you, 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 you can be calm, you can be relaxed, not because things have gotten better, but because you trust me enough that I will get you through everything you're going through because I promise that I will never leave you or nor forsake you. What is true in your life? And think about what's actually true, what's reliable, what's authentic, and what's everlasting, what's never changing. Think on these things. And I feel like in our lives, church, our thoughts can take us captive. We can go down a rabbit's hole and just think about all the scenarios, all the situations. And God's like, there you go thinking again. There you go planning again. You're doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Let me be God. Let me be your God. Because fam, you ain't, you, ain't, you ain't cut out for it. You see what happens when you think? You get stressed. You get anxious. Right? But see, when I do it, <laughs> I'm sorry. When I do it, oh, I give you peace. <laughs> I give you joy. Come on now. I give, you, I give you everything you need to get through what you're going through when I do it. So when you let me be God and not you, oh, life is worth living. Life is better not because your circumstances change, but because of the spirit that I have living within you. That's why life is better. I'm not promising you easy life. I'm not promising you, you stress-free life. Life is hard. It was hard for my son. You saw what he went through? But he was able to navigate it. He was able to feel sustained and filled and have joy and have peace because he had my spirit. And oh, my child, oh, my son, oh, my daughter, you have my spirit too. And I'm just here to let you know and if you let me be God, I got you. Think on these things. You know, there's an old proverb that says, ah, it says that thoughts, when we let things in our brain, thoughts can hold us captives. 
and it can lead to actions, right? And when thoughts lead to actions, they then become our masters, right? And what they're, what, what they're saying is, when you let things that are opposite of the spirit into your brain, it will, be, it will begin to rule your life. It will begin to truly govern how you feel, how you think, how you act, how you live. So we have to be very watchful about what we let in our minds. And that's why I say, when you get stressed out, when we get overwhelmed, my prayer for us, church, is that we just stop, pause, breathe. What is true? What is God calling me to think right now? God, how am I surrendering this over to you rather than trying to see, rather than trying to have control over everything in my life? Stop. And think on these things, right? What if we're having a hard time at work? What if instead of thinking about how hard work is, you thought about how to be honorable at work? You thought about how to, how to embody the spirit in such a way that even though you're having a hard time at work, people still find you lovely, lovely and admirable. People still find that they want to be around you. People find you, people find that you are their safe haven at work because you, you are embodying the spirit that they, don't know they have access, that, that, that they don't know they have access to yet, right? What if we set our minds on these things when life gets hard? That's why Paul says, think about such things so that you can grow into and live into that peace that will guard your hearts and that will guard your mind. My God, peace that will guard your hearts and that will guard your minds. If you want access to that peace, think on such things. Verse 9, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. You know, Paul always out here saying, be like me. It really doesn't seem like he always like, he's like, yeah, be like me, be like me, right? But let's, let, let us remember. I'm glad he said this again. Let us remember that Paul saying imitate me only has meaning or value if he's following the pattern of the life of Jesus. It only has meaning or value if his life is pointing to Jesus. Imitate me. And let me, say, let me say this too, church. I think that this is good because when many of us read the Bible, we say, Lord, I, this, this is looking slow. This, 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 this is looking really, really difficult and hard. I don't know if I can actually do this. What if our posture becomes, okay, first of all, it ain't me that's doing it, it's the Spirit that's doing it. And what if we say, Lord, I need help doing this. Help me find a brother or sister who I can imitate. Help me find someone who I can, who, who, whose example I can follow as I'm on my journey to be like Jesus, right? Let that be our prayer sometimes. Like, we need each other. We, like, Christianity is not an individualistic enterprise, right? We desperately need to look at one another and see, hey, you know what? 
I've been really trying to grow in my prayer life. Like when you share it in decourse the other night, your like your your practice, your patterns of what you do, that sounds like something that I really want to do. Could you help me with that? Right? Like, like could, could you assist me in trying to increase or be more consistent in my prayer life? And Paul's not saying we should try to be like the best Christian we've ever seen. No, 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 no. We're all, we, we all need one another to become like Jesus. Right? We need one another. We are, we are the body of Christ, and we're called to be in community. Right? So let, let us be actually intentional. As we mature in our faith, as we grow in our faith, let us be intentional and say, you know what? A part of my growth is following the example of my brother or sister in Christ. A part of my growth is imitation, right? Because these Philippians grew in their faith by imitating Paul. Not because Paul's this best or this super duper Christian, but because Paul genuinely, genuinely wanted these Christians to, to live into the fullness of what God has for them. And I want that for you. And you want that for me. So let's help one another get there. Let's get there together. Let's, let's march together. Let's run this race together so that we can be all that Christ has called us to be. And then lastly, like he says, he says, whatever you have learned, received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. So Paul is saying all at once, you've seen me embody these values, right? Now I want you to put it into practice. And I love this because he's saying that don't just think about it. <laughs> Come on here, Paul. Don't just think about it. Do it, right? I, I want you to be in your house thinking about these values, reading it all day. No, 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 fam. Put it into practice. Because if you don't put it into practice, you're not going to live into the peace of God. You're not going to live into the peace of God that will guard your heart and that will guard your mind. You got to put it into practice. And he ends with this. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. A couple things about this. I like how Paul ends this particular Verse, and really this unit of scripture that uh, Rich taught on last week and that we're finishing out this week, he ends it with a promise and not a command. And the God of peace will be with you. Two things said about this, and then we're done. One thing is this. Paul understood that the Philippian church, if they're embodying these values in a pagan culture, right, it would invite hostility from their friends, from their family members, life would be a little bit hard. Not even a little bit. Life would be hard for these Christians if they went out and fully embraced a Christ-like mindset toward these values. And Paul is saying that when life gets hard, I want you to remember the peace you have access to. I want you to remember that the God of peace will not leave you. He won't leave you standing there. If life is hard, God is right there with you. Standing next to you, he has not left you. God is both the source of peace and the giver of peace. 
And the source of this peace that surpasses all understanding, the source of this peace that will give you this inward peace and joy, that will give you this inward stability, this inward calmness, this inward trust and assurance that everything will work out for my good. The source of that peace will give it to you and he will walk with you every step of the way. He will not leave you nor will he forsake you. Life will be hard. Paul has not been shot by sin throughout this entire, but life will be hard for you, child of God. But the spirit you have on the inside of you is worth so much more than anything this world can give you. And the spirit that you have on the inside of you can allow you to endure and persevere through it all. As the worship team comes back up now, I want to close by saying, church, kind of how we began, there is power in the way that we think, right? We have to monitor and be in control of what we're letting into our minds, right? We have to be very considerate in filling our minds with things that are of Christ and that are of God rather than things of the world. And like I said, Paul is not saying that you have to live this individualistic, you know, Christian life where you just by yourself, separate from the world. But he's saying like, yo, when you're watching Netflix or Hulu, be a Christian. Think as a Christian would. Because, and this is real talk, right? Because as we're letting that kind of stuff into our minds, it's impacting us. So we have to be thoughtfully engaged in the ways in which we're interacting with things from the world. And be Christians about it. Think as a Christian would. Think about things through a Christian lens because that's going to help you have control over the peace in your life because you're thinking in ways of God and not of this world. The power of our thoughts. Always be thinking about, Lord have mercy, what you're thinking about. <laughs> Always be thinking about what you're letting into your mind. Think on these things. Fill your mind. Concentrate on these things. And, you, and, and, and the peace of God, as Rich taught last week, will guard our hearts and our minds. Let's go to God in prayer.